now that I like finished eating when you were like, oh, um, I'm good to go. But we were watching our anime with food episode mm. and we were like well it's already basically 2012 let's just fucking watch Mirai Nikki again uh what was the one that I was gonna start watching again Soul Eater oh dang <laughs> <laughs> this is Bread and Barricades a layman's podcast I'm Nemo I use they them pronouns and fuck um... <laughs> and I don't fuck <laughs> Why am I like this, Stevie? Stevie, what were you planning on saying? This is Stevie. She, her pronouns. Your various researcher. Today, I did some sewing of clothing, and then I fucking hand-washed in the sink a silk scarf and felt like a little <laughs> washerwoman. <laughs> it was, like, very strange because I'm not someone who owns things that are made of silk, but... For curly hair, you're meant to sleep on like a silk pillowcase, which is quite bougie feeling. Uh, <laughs> but I've been putting off washing it for a long time. So we're just like wringing it out in the sink and then like wringing all the water out. And my hands were all red afterwards and it was like kind of satisfying, actually. I like a hand <laughs> test. <laughs> I don't know why that set me off so much. Just the <laughs> image of you, like, because I feel like I can picture it perfectly. Oh, yeah. so- thing <laughs> you definitely would be the like the surf in the middle <laughs> middle ages just like washing clothing doing a bit of like gossiping of the girls <laughs> yeah I, li- I actually like jobs like I make clothes for a living I like jobs where you're just like this is what I do with my hands head empty do mm. <laughs> I today uh saw a guy who works in the museum and he works in the DNA lab so one thing that he's doing is basically trying to DNA sequence every single specimen that's in the museum in order to like officially categorize what counts as a species Mm -hmm. because for so long there have been all these questions of like if it's got a certain number of scales that does does that mean it's a completely different fish or is it just blah 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 um so yeah, and nobody's really got a set answer of how you categorize things because how you categorize things is like so wild and so more complex. And so his, you know, team is basically just like, well, if we DNA sequence it, we'll be able to know for sure like what is actually a thing. And uh, so he was going to a meeting today and I just caught him in the stairwell and he was like, yeah, so basically I just went to this meeting and they basically said that... Um, if we do find stuff that the DNA is completely different to what the curators have diagnosed it to be, curated it to be, then uh, they have no plan. So that was fun. <laughs> I was like, what? what? He's like, yeah, like when and not if, when we find something, many things, probably the whole museum of miscategorized specimens, they're just going to shrug their shoulders. <laughs> Well, we're doing nothing with that. <laughs> Literally, and I, he, he was like, he was like trying, he was like explaining the the process for me, and I was like, man, he, out of all the jobs in the museum, his job is probably the most what we would see as scientific of yeah. like DNA. Specimens, and he's literally just like, I guess my job is now just head empty. <laughs> oh no, God, that's true. Where they're like, do this whole thing, but we're gonna do absolutely nothing with your results. I mean, also at the start of uh, the pandemic, he stopped working on DNA sequencing fish in order to work on coronavirus oh. vaccine. And it was like, these yeah. <laughs> skills are the same. yeah literally and like he got this like whole documentary basically on him by the museum being like in the kind of style of like look at our boys going off to war (laughs) and and then he was like so like how how are you doing and I was like yeah no I'm still taking photographs of fish he's like cool cool like any cool ones and I was like no just say it's still the same fucking family my dude like (laughs) I'm just taking photographs and and you're there like are they even fish anymore yeah literally so that's me yeah (laughs) talking of fish Um, talking of job prospects well actually kind of speaking of job prospects we'll be coming so uh be excited for that but first of fumbling speaking of fumbling (laughs) um so 
we left off. After the multi-choice adventure, what way down the street is Jean Valjean going to run? And he was caught in a street where like, he could hear that Javert's men were kind of coming from all directions. Like he was in a slowly tightening net, some Victor Hugo's might say. (laughs) Um, And he just looked up to heaven in despair. And in order to understand what follows, the reader needs to have an accurate (laughs) picture of this lane. And I'm going to be going off more like, I read all these chapters and I'm just going to try and look at the page as little as possible and just like remember it. Um, So let's see how that does for us. So this street, on one Mm -hmm. end, the houses are really big and they kind of get shorter as it goes down. And that's that's... just perspective, Victor Hugo. (laughs) And basically you need to understand that. Uh, Yeah. And somehow with this, and there's a lot of right angles as well, it's basically impossible for them to see Jean Valjean. And that's basically the story. (laughs) See me. (laughs) So Jean Valjean's like looking around and he's like, what am I going to do? But even though it's like... They're close by and it's very tense. Even after all these right angles, he's like, I think I've got about 15 minutes to decide what to do. (laughs) He figures he can like run around this area without being like wherever he is somehow because of these buildings that are tall and get shorter. But there's also there's like a wall around them. He can do anything in this little area for 15 minutes and Mm -hmm. gets an idea. And that's to go to like one of the big houses. There's all these pipe like the drainage pipes are all over this building and they kind of make this almost like tree branches the branches of lead and iron were the first thing that caught Jean Valjean's eye um, so he was like right can I climb these and they're not on the house very good so he's like okay I can't climb these and also we must not forget everything is in full moonlight but none of the lamps are on so even though there's full moonlight lest we forget also it's fine for him to still be running around question mark um <laughs> As we've just explained, he was invisible to all eyes. Um, so then he's like, runs to one of the other walls that, because of like the slant of the buildings, he's like, okay, this one I could probably climb, but it'd be really hard. So let me try this one instead. And there's like a big, what looks like a gate. He's trying to pull down the bits of wood off of it. Um, but his dis- to his dismay, it's not a gate. It was some paneling up against a wall. And he's like, fuck. Next chapter. <laughs> He can now see the like gleam of the bayonets, the seven or eight of them, led by a tall figure. Um, the way I read the sentence, so there's not a comma, it's these so- soldiers led by a tall figure he identified as Javert, quite comma. I read as like, led by a tall figure, he identified as Javert, as in like Javert self-identifies as Javert, and I like had to reread it because I was like, ah, and I was like, wait. <laughs> Me in 2013. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. They keep halting frequently because they look. They're checking like every neck and cranny, and that is why. Sorry, there you go. <laughs> Just <laughs> the three genders: male, female, and Javert. <laughs> it it feels like there should be a comma there, and that is how it's meant to be read. It feels unnatural yeah. to read it as led by the figure that Jean Valjean identified as Javert. Yeah, there should be more words in that sentence. Yeah, so. Self-identifies Javert, advancing slowly and cautiously. And it's for that reason that he's got 15 minutes. They're still on the clock. Um, so you imagine it even more, because isn't there that, that, that game that, that's coming out where you're Javert looking for clues? Yeah, Inspector Javert and the Oath of Blood. That sounds right. That sounds good, if that's not the title. <laughs> um, so this like is a ready-made moment of like looking for Jean Valjean and but the game is set up is it fi- <laughs> tangent is it Final Fantasy or the other one where they're like oh I was meant to lose to this boss ah uh, I think it was Final Fantasy <laughs> well you've got 15 minutes to find Jean Valjean but actually for the story to progress you were meant to not find him in time spoilers <laughs> for this coming chapters <laughs> Because you're looking really hard. You're looking super hard in all of the little, like, alleys. And there's a lot of dead ends around here. Yeah, quarter of an hour, he's got it. And Jean Valjean's getting really stressed. Because, obviously. Um, And a penal service now meant 
not just penal servitude, but Cosette is lost to him forever. In other words, a living death. So he wants to keep her safe. He's trying to figure out a way, like, he can climb this wall, but he couldn't do it with Cosette on his back. That he's like, right, I need to rig something up. It's a good thing I've got 15 minutes. Why couldn't he just put her on his back? Jean Valjean slash Victor Hugo. But as we know, he is a master in the incredible art of climbing the inside corner of a wall. Um, Mm, Yeah, as we know. By sheer muscular force, using neck, shoulders, Mm. hips and knees. (laughs) (laughs) Neck, shoulders, hips and knees. knees. (laughs) He should be great at this. So if Jean Valjean, of all people, knows, right, I can't do this particular wall with Cosette on my back. We, we know shit's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just a contrived plot thing, despite <laughs> wall climbing being one of his only fucking skills. <laughs> Speaking of contrived, um, <laughs> so on the corner of this street, to like make it slightly easier to reach the bit of the wall that he wants to climb up, there just so happens to be a pile of rubble which Mm -hmm. is five foot high and it's there (laughs) to prevent public convenience by passers-by so i'm pretty sure that means to stop people peeing but why why is the pile of rubble stopping people from surely people will just pee on the pile of rubble yeah yes like it like public convenience yes and i read i read that article again about um when uh public urination led to uh, toilets, which led to public people using the restrooms, newly built restrooms, as places to find gay sex. Uh, mm-hmm. Article again. Oh yeah. And uh, oh, and it mentioned Victor Hugo, and it mentioned the sewers. Um, <laughs> Intrinsically linked. Because people with penises <laughs> were peeing everywhere. Uh, <laughs> they built uh, urinals, but then public urinals became to stink so bad that they were like, okay, we'll put them on the docks. And then people in the docks were like, great, this is hidden away from the public. We can use this for sex. And people were like, oh, no. (laughs) We've made secret places for for gay men to have sex. And so they were like, okay, let's move them back up to the streets, but we'll put adverts on them so that people can't see them anymore. And that's how capitalism started. (laughs) Well, not how capitalism started, but that is one of the earliest things of capitalism, of like these public uh, urinals were only kept clean because of the money that was made from adverts for like soap and shit in the public urinals. Wow. (sighs) And it all started with this five foot pile of rubble that I used to climb this wall. Yes, this must be reiterated. The problem was Cosette. She could not climb a wall. <laughs> Abandon her? The problem was Cosette. <laughs> Jean Valjean had no intention of abandoning her. He needed a rope. He had not got one. Where was he to find one? Well, all dire situations are electrifying. Sometimes blindingly so. So, I guess his mind is just like, he's got this 15 minutes and he's running around and he's like, okay, found this pile of rubble. Okay, found these, like, the wall of this height that I can climb. Okay, well, there was no gas lights at the time on the streets of Paris. There was instead little, like, lantern boxes with ropes to bring them down so you could light them. Mm. And these ropes were kept and, like, partially covered by a little metal box. There was a winch. There's a lot of description of how these lights work. Um, Jean Valjean dashed across the street, entered the blind alley, picked the lock of the little box with the point of his knife, and a moment later was back with Cosette. He had a rope. It's... Okay, I'm really annoyed because uh, I have finally bit the bullet and f- started watching the BBC drama, and I'm really annoyed that this detail to the to his knife, like picking the box, was very accurately portrayed in the drama. <laughs> And then the most, un- <laughs> and then they just change. <laughs> <laughs> this was the moment that they were like, "This is the pinnacle Jean Valjean <laughs> moment, and we've got to get it down." <laughs> and then he just bursts into the cemetery and walks into the room of nuns, like, "Hey guys." <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, carry on. The sentence, like, it, 
it actually has energy. They're like, he did this, then this, then this, then this. Mm. But now knowing that they were like, this is the moment we'll take and none of the rest. <laughs> I don't know. Does it cheapen it? I don't know. It makes me feel some kind of way about it. <laughs> and also, we have to like picture the countdown clock. He's in like a level of Spyro and he's got those 15 minutes to get this shit done. <laughs> I've been imagining the literal clock in the TV show countdown but it's Javert making the brown <laughs> um, and we have already explained that these street lamps have not been lit this day and that's why it's so dark even though there's moonlight when I need it to shine on people's faces um, so he's got his rope and he's got the place and he's got the time he doesn't want to alarm Cosette but understandably, it's been a long night. She started to get a bit alarmed. Oh, and I kind of didn't like this, but I guess I, I guess it worked. That she's like, what, what's going on? And he, was, he says, hush, it's Madame Thenardier. And she starts Aww. shuddering and he sort of, yeah, says like, keep quiet. Don't call out, don't cry out because the Thenardier woman's ready to pounce and she's going to take you back. And that's how he keeps her quiet. They're like, oh, it's really traumatic for her. But we move swiftly from that moment to he, like, <laughs> constructs a little swaddle for her out of a scarf and this rope. He climbs the fence, and then, like, he doesn't climb it with her on his back. I think he made a weird little pulley. Mm. For the amount of detail that everything is in, I'm still like, did he just leave her over? <laughs> Making one of those, like, helicopter rescue things. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm picturing. Levis has her up. But, oh, I can't believe I almost forgot. He first, before he climbed over, pulled his socks and shoes off <laughs> and threw them over the fence. <laughs> and then climbs it and then pulleys up his small child. Okay, sure. Okay, what could that be? Is it because prisoners didn't have socks and shoes and so he's more used to climbing with bare feet i want to believe that so i'm gonna say yes or is it because he's asian and he's, <laughs> he can't enter the house <laughs> it doesn't you know victor hugo puts a lot of detail into like a lot of his choices but he just says you know took the other end of the rope between his teeth pulled off his shoes and stockings which he threw over the wall climbed up the masonry you're like go back to wait what <laughs> <laughs> oh but I do like this so when he he ties these little knots to make this weird pulley system for Gazette and Victor Hugo says like oh it's like a knot seafarer's called a swallow knot and then my edition has a little asterisk and they're like we think he means this but um uh, wouldn't be tied in the way it's described it's possible Hugo is thinking of this other knot and you're just like you fucking idiot Victor Hugo yeah Fuck you and your fake not knowledge. <laughs> so I like that. The the um the translator who's like as part of the BDSM community. <laughs> I can confirm that this is not correct. Because <laughs> it's staring at him in amazement for all of this, and like I guess a lot's been going on. You would be too. And he's saying to her, "Oh, don't be afraid." And you're like, you just told her that <laughs> worst nightmares after her, and you just pulled her up over a wall. But now he puts her on his back. So they're now imagine they're still on the street and all the houses are sloping down and he's on the wall with a child on his back and he's just kind of army crawling across it. <laughs> and from way up here, it looks really far down to the ground. But with a great hullabaloo, the arrival of the patrol is announced and Javert's voice can be heard shouting, no, roaring out to search the alley check this street, check this street, he's going to be around here somewhere. And that kind of, even though Jean Valjean a second ago was like, oh, that looks a bit steep actually. He's like, okay, here we go. Off the roof, to the ground, <laughs> holding his child, and jumps. Next chapter. <laughs> uh, it's the beginning of a mystery. They're in like, so they, he drops down in this area, this garden, and if the outside, like the, the area of Jean Valjean's been running around has been a bit decrepit, it's so much worse in here. Mm. It's super dark and like there's a load of trees and benches that are covered in moss. So you kind of get the feeling not many people come around here. It's like gnarled fruit trees. 
is really quiet except for the shouting of the guard and Javert distantly. It's super like murky in there. There's some like crumbling looking little sheds. Uh, it's very grim, says Victor Hugo. Oh, the uh, windows on the buildings kind of look like prisons. The ones on prisons, there's bars on them. It's very misty, it's very dark still. It is impossible to imagine anything more neglected and lonely looking than this garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this couldn't possibly be symbolising anything. <laughs> There's never been any symbolism in here. Uh, and his first concern is to find his shoes. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> but we don't get an answer to that. One who is on the run, never feels well hidden enough, so he's thinking about, oh, maybe I should get into one of these little huts or something. And Cosette's still thinking about Madame Tenardier, so she's being really quiet and shivering because also it's cold and misty. <laughs> and then they can hear... So they can hear Javert, like, distantly cursing. And I just... I hadn't <laughs> imagined Javert as one to curse. No. But that... Mm, yeah. <laughs> just imagining being like, fuck, shit, bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see him as that kind of person, but maybe that's just the fanfic speaking. Or maybe Victor Hugo's wrong. <laughs> yeah, Victor Hugo is wrong. <laughs> he just doesn't seem like the type in any of the fics. No. <laughs> I don't know we're reading the text, so I guess I should be taking this more as gospel, but I'm like, Victor Hugo, you don't come first. <laughs> don't let Javert say fuck. Uh, a quarter of an hour passes in this way, so that's like 15 minutes of like, fuck! God damn it! <laughs> My boy! Uh, and the voices sort of move on and he's got his hand over Cosette's little mouth and she's still shivering and cold (laughs) and then actually the loneliness of the place they were in was so strangely peaceful that the frightful din raging so furiously and so close at hand did not disturb them in the slightest I don't know it just felt a bit strange like Jean Valjean can hear Javert shouting and cursing across the wall but nothing else could and if it's so like peaceful your hands over her little mouth yeah but then from the night and the moved on din and racket of the (laughs) soldiers celestial sounds divine ineffable (laughs) ravishing um just some of the words that he uses in this paragraph Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. him issues from the shadows Dazzling radiance of prayer, women's voices, combining the pure strains of virgins and the innocent strains of children. The sounds that newborns can still hear and the dying already hear. As the devil's pandemonium receded, it might have been a choir of angels approaching in the darkness. Okay. Which is kind of almost, I don't know, would that not be weirder? You're in this creepy little garden with soldiers (laughs) at one side and then suddenly, and it really seems like there's no lights really. It seems like this is coming from nowhere. Mm. Sudden prayer. Would not Valjean think that he has just died? <laughs> is there that AU? Ghost of Valjean AU? I don't know where you'd go with that. No. I guess why would you? Just for me. They fall- I mean, there was the um, Javert Groundhog Day one. but Oh yeah, I did read that one. The most oh, frustrating and so good fanfiction. <laughs> It's so well written, but also when you finally think it, it was one of those fanfics where you're like you're reading it, and you're like, oh my god, thank fuck, he's finally out of the Groundhog Day loop, and then you look and you see you're halfway through the fanfic. <laughs> you're like, oh no. <laughs> That's always my fear with really long fics because like there's just so much time for things to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. You better not be happy until three quarters of the way through. Yeah, if that, especially with a Valver fic, you need to be on like closing statements before you get to kiss. <laughs> this would make a good Groundhog Day one, this scene, like this whole mm-hmm. day, because there's so many choices, like alleys that Jean Valjean could have ran down, and this would have all gone to shit. Mm. But instead, we kneel and we pray. <laughs> um, the voices sang. Jean Valjean's mind was empty. Like, say. <laughs> Relatable content, yeah. finally, from Victor Hugo. <laughs> he seemed to feel the spreading of those wings which we all have within us. 
which do we victor hugo do we all have those spreading of wings within us because it seems like <laughs> you've said that tenardier do not yeah it's one of those lines where when you read it you're like oh that's nice that like i know at the time that wasn't how people thought that everyone has the potential to be good and you're like wait a hot second victor hugo you're one of those people <laughs> i guess it's nice to know that jean Valjean has them uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, the singing, eventually it stops and he doesn't really even know how much time has passed because it's just been, it's been a moment and you know what, it's been a day, so <laughs> that's fine. And the menacing and the comforting had all died away and now there's just a breeze in the weeds and the mystery continues. <laughs> Poor Gazette said nothing. She's still just like, what is happening? <laughs> also, is Madame Tenardier still after us is she going to climb the wall like a titan <laughs> yeah like what are you doing what am i doing what's going on and she still looks very pensive and shivering and jean Valjean's like are you sleepy she's like well i'm cold like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's only when she's like is she still there and he's like what who she's like madame Tenardier. you said what <laughs> I really do love the way that you're reading this and the like I mean it is really true that Bojan does not know how to take care of a child and it's just like are you do I need to is there a button that I need to press or like are you are you good or (laughs) yeah I guess that yeah he's only been doing this for what is it been a couple weeks maybe could not tell you. <laughs> I'm sure I only just read those in the last episode. How long it's been. <laughs> but it's not been that long. But also, Jean Valjean. Um, and he's like, oh shit, no, she's gone. There's nothing to be frightened of anymore. And like, isn't... Okay. <laughs> but she feels like a great load has been lifted off her chest. Um, so we're glad for her. And he does, is like, oh damn, you are shivering. And gives her his coat. So that's quite nice. Why didn't she have a coat to begin with, Valjean? (laughs) Why isn't she wearing the red coat that she was wearing in the movie? (laughs) The only version that matters to us. Now he's given her his unkidnappable yellow coat. Mm. Which, (laughs) I say, my earphones flying out of my ear of rage, is not in the BBC drama Andrew Davies. But the, the rope and the knife to get the light down? Yeah. Was? Yeah. But we've had so Literally much about this Literally things coat. like that. It's like so stupid. Like that detail was so well done and so well poised and the thing. And then they turn around <laughs> and they're like, oh, but he's like wearing these clothes. He's wearing fancy clothes because we said so. <laughs> we think the yellow coat would look silly. And you're like, that's the point. <laughs> well, it's on Cosette now. And we know that to be the truth. And he's like, just wait here. I'm going to be right back. <laughs> and he goes to explore the area. And there's he comes upon a hall. And there's no lights on still. But there's like a bit of a glint of something. And the hall's deserted. And he, so he's just looking through the window at this deserted hall. And I feel like I brought up recently, you know, when Kazat was going into the forest alone. And he really well describes, like, the psychological horror of being a child walking through the woods at night. And Mm. I think maybe Hugo should have written horror. (laughs) Because suddenly, we're in a bit of a supernatural mystery. (laughs) And Jean Valjean's looking through this window and he sees kind of, it looks a bit like a human shape in a shroud laying on the floor. And he just can't figure out what it is. It looks face down and it's very still. And Mm. this sinister figure appears to have a rope around its neck like oh some sort God. of snake trailing across the floor and Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean often said afterwards and I was like to who who's Jean Valjean <laughs> talking to he doesn't tell anyone anything but as Jean Valjean said afterwards although he had encountered many macabre sights in his life he'd never seen anything more chilling and terrible than this mysterious figure fulfilling who can say what unknown mystery in that dismal place It was harrowing to suppose that what lay there might be dead and more harrowing to think that it might still be alive. So he's pushing his face like closer against this window, desperate to see what it is. And it's still not moving for this such long stretch of silence. 
that suddenly he's overcome with inexplicable terror and he fled. Oh my, what? <laughs> it's very haunting of Bly Manor. It's so bad, but you're like, Hugo, tell a mystery story. Yeah, this is a lot better. I, <laughs> I just, yeah, I do want, okay, Stevie, our 2021 adaptation of Les Mis is going to be a horror film. I'm about to pitch to you another thing that it should be. Okay. And it's half horror, half pantomime. <laughs> <laughs> like on stage? Yes. It's half English Christmas panto, half the woman in black stage play. <laughs> so like it does have the real seriousness of the woman in black stage play that is like actually... Uh, to some people, scary, but also has moments where it's like, she's behind you. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or I guess I can allow us to do two adaptations because when I got into the next chapters, I was just like, this is great and <laughs> this is what every adapta- adaptation has missed that I'm aware of, having only seen two adaptations. <laughs> but I think he would, like, when he gets really into these creepy descriptions and creating some tension he does it quite well because you're like what is this i have not been warned by anyone that there's some ghoul (laughs) well to be fair most horrors work best when there is comedy in them so panto horror show i'm down for it let's go excellent (laughs) i cannot wait doesn't have anything on us (laughs) (laughs) we will certainly be doing it like no one has done it before It's like, it's a nine-hour durational piece. (laughs) The first six hours are about in excruciating detail, Bishop Muriel. (laughs) And then three hours of, like, horror film of this. (laughs) And there's, like, a graphic sex scene between Javert and John Valjean. (laughs) I want a tasteful pan up to the goddamn curtain billowing in the wind. And then then that's when the he's behind you. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) Take my money. So we're still in the deep harbor. What was this strange spectral house? A building full of nocturnal mysteries, summoning souls in the darkness with the voices of angels. And when they came, springing up from that dreadful vision, promising to open the radiant gates of heaven, and then opening the horrific entrance to hell. And that's what the synopsis of the thing is called, like, has as the description. <laughs> yes, yes, perfect. It's quite intense, especially yeah. after the, Jean Valjean's just, like, MacGyvered them over this hall <laughs> to this haunted little house. And he's cold with anxiety and worry. Um, and he's, like, kind of feverish. Like, he's been feeling a lot of emotions. Mm. And he came back to Gazette and she was sleeping. Next chapter. <laughs> like, we're going to leave the demon in the shroud? Okay. The mystery deepens. Maybe we're not leaving the demon in the, in the, in the shroud. He sits with Cosette and her presence gives him so much joy that he's able to calm down a bit. (laughs) And he just kind of like thinks about her a lot, which is very nice. We're going to get into it. But I'm like, dude, you were just running from a spook. (laughs) What? Get away. But as long as she's here, he has nothing to fear. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm, Okay. He's not even aware of being very cold anymore, having given his coat to her. This is proof that Jean Valjean is a white man. This is white people in a horror film. Yeah, begging to be ghosted (laughs) by the ghoul. And then he starts hearing a little bell distantly. Ooh, spooky. Coming through the garden. And then Victor Hugo, who's been like, he he mounted some good tension, I think, in that last spooky, what is this in the hall chapter. And he's like, kind of like, the little tunes produced by cowbells in the pastures. Like, okay, it's gone. <laughs> oh yes, the scariest thing that I can imagine. Cows in a pasture. There's nothing more terrifying than poor people working in a field. <laughs> and what appears is a man walking along these bell jars in the melon bed, just, you know, bending down, stopping... Regular movements. He's dragging something, but with his little cowbell in the melon patch. 
I do love that it's melons. Like every time I think of him and I think of melons, I do I do get very happy. Well, that's why he's about to be our panto boy. Oh, this whole scene is ready for a panto because there's literally a ghoul in the background that Jean Valjean's forgotten. He's too distracted <laughs> by this bellboy and the melons that it's begging for and it's behind you. Oh my god. Sorry, I just took a sip of water as you said bellboy and his melons and I was like <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> his huge badonka donk melons. <sighs> begging to be pantoed. Chevrolet is so shuddered with some continual terror of the wretched. But, and like everything feels hostile and suspect in this moment. He's been chased for so much, and there's a something in the hall behind him. People like this distrust the daylight because with the help of it, they can be seen, and the dark because with the help of it, they can be taken by surprise. Fanciful terrors gave way to real ones. You're like, but we don't know that the body <laughs> in the veil is fanciful. <laughs> But I guess it doesn't matter because now there's this man and his melons. And Cosette is asleep, so he picks her up and puts her in a heap of old disused furniture in the corner of the outhouse. And then he goes back to watch the movements of this melon man. Yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) If you know what I mean. I I do add this boy to our list of ships with Jean Valjean. Oh, no, he, it's, it's an established ship. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read that later. When he'd stop moving, the bell would cease. When he starts moving, the bell continues. Who was this man with a little bell hanging from him like a ram or an ox? He asked himself all these questions. <laughs> Touch Cosette's hands. They were freezing cold. Oh, shit. I've got a cold child out in the middle of the night. I should do something My child about is cold. <laughs> and he has all those fears of, like, Oh, fuck. She could die from this. I have been dragging her around through the dark of the night. So he picks her up. How's he going to warm her? How's he going to rouse her? Everything's wiped from his mind. And he just, like, rushes out there. It's essential that Cosette be in a bed with a fire in the next 15 minutes. Next chapter, man with the bell. (laughs) (laughs) And he walks straight up to this man with a little shivering, asleep Cosette. Put a hand on the roll of silver coins in his pocket of his waistcoat. And he moves so silently that there's no way this man can hear him coming. And he's just like, 100 francs. (laughs) And the man is like, "Um, sorry, sir, my asking price is more than that. (laughs) This is the beginning of the panto scene. 100 francs. The man gives a start and looks up. 100 francs are yours if you'll give me a shelter for the night. And the moon, which we must never forget is shining well this night Mm -hmm. and right now it's needed to pan onto Jean Valjean's face okay it's on the stage hitting his face excellent oh it's you Père Madeleine (laughs) (laughs) and Jean Valjean recoils just like what is this like you're the man who ran up to this other boy and just shouted money (laughs) and he wasn't expecting this and I will be honest I didn't expect this either Uh, oh my god what are you doing here, Pam Madeline? How in the name of Jesus did you get here? You must have fallen from heaven. Not that it's impossible. If ever you do fall, that's where you'll fall from. Oh, but you have no scarf and where's your coat? Do you realise you'd have frightened anyone else who didn't know you? No coat, good lord. Oh, are the saints going mad these days? But what on earth are you doing here? And Jean-Marc is still like, ah, what? <laughs> who are you? What is this house? I'm the person you placed here. This house is the one you priced me. Don't you recognize me? No, said Jean Valjean. How is it you came to know me? You saved my life, said the man. He turned, and now the moonbeam pans left. And his face <laughs> is in the moonlight. And Jean Valjean recognized old Fauchelevent. Woo! <laughs> it's you. Yes, I recognize you. I should think so too, said the old man in a reproachful voice. What are you doing here, said Jean Valjean? Why, covering my melons, of course. <laughs> and while Jean Valjean had accosted him, old Fauchelevent had in fact been holding in his hand a little straw mat in which he was tacking the melons into bed. <laughs> and he went on, 
I said to myself, the moon's bright, there'll be a frost. Should I go get my melons into their winter coats? And goodness knows, you surely should have done that same for yourself. Jean-Bouchon's <laughs> 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 like, I guess, I guess now's the, the time for caution. Not when I was running from a ghoul and shouting money at a stranger. Now that I know who he is, now's the time <laughs> for caution. So, uh, it's like their roles were reversed and the intruder was the one now asking the questions. What's the bell you're wearing on your knee? This? It's so I can be kept clear of. What do you mean? <laughs> and Fauchelevant winks. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll tell you, there are only women in the house. Many young girls, it's... I'm dangerous to be seen for them, so the bell, the bell is to warn them off. So they hear the little bell and they know not to come outside. Jean-Bouchon's like, what is this house? <laughs> <laughs> come now, you know well enough. No, I don't. <laughs> but you got me the job here as a gardener. Tell me about it as if I know nothing about it, says so Jean-Bouchon. <laughs> Explain it to me like I'm a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he just kind of tells the story again of like, Lest we forget, so Fauchelevent is the man who was crushed under the weight of the cart, and Jean Valjean, in the place of a jack, hoisted it off him, but then he'd been injured, so Fauchelevent couldn't continue the job that he used to have, so as the mayor, Jean Valjean had gotten got this job for Fauchelevent <laughs> to be the gardener in Paris at this convent. Which is a really weird fucking job and so far away from... Why didn't he get him a job in Montreux-sur-Mer? Montreux? Montreux? Montreux-sur-Mer. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've watched the BBC one, we question our pronunciation of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the real question, that if we were there as the intruders, we would become the question askers. Um, <laughs> but for one, he's just sort of going with it. He's like... More to the point, how the devil did you get here, Père Madeleine? For all that you're a saint, you're a man, and no men are allowed in this place. He's like, well, you're here, well, I'm the only one. All the same, says Jean Valjean, I must stay here. My God, cried Fauchelevent. And Jean Valjean reminds him, oh, I saved your life, I saved your life. And I fucking love Fauchelevent so much. I was the first to remember that. And with his old... Wrinkled, trembling hands, he takes Jean Valjean's two sturdy hands mm, and for several mm-hmm. minutes seemed unable to speak. And finally he's like, you know what, you're right. You did save my life. And if I can save your life, well, this old man is at your service. And a joy comes over him and his face seemed to radiate light. <laughs> what do you want me to do, he asks. And Jean Valjean explains, I, I need a room. Well, I have an isolated hut over there, but... In the ruin of that old house, it does have three rooms, conveniently. <laughs> if only there was only two, and then what will we do then? <laughs> oh no, oh no, there's only one bed. But uh, there's three, so we'll just have to rewrite it. When we make this into the panto, there will be only two rooms. There is there is a fic that's only two beds, I seem to remember. Oh, excellent, I can't wait for later. <laughs> that's my little treat for this. Jean Valjean's only going to ask two things of him. What are they? Please let me know. I'll do it. Firstly, you must not tell anyone that I'm here. Secondly, do not ask for any more explanations. I can't give them. (laughs) (laughs) And Fauchelevent's like, yeah, whatever you say, I know you couldn't do anything that wasn't honourable. And you've always been a man of God. So, um, you placed me here. And that's your business. I'm at your service. And then we all remember, because there's a... Like, I just... Loved this chapter so much because the dialogue is as quick as, like, I am reading it out. There's not, like, I have read out when it's, like, said Jean Valjean. It's just, like, line, line, line. They're just, like, bouncing off each other so good. I don't know if I'm reading it that good, but when I was reading it, the comedy was there for me. I was living for it. (laughs) I found it really funny, too. I mean, I seem to remember one of my favorite lines in it being, um... Fancy being a hero and not remembering the lives that you've saved or something like that. Oh my like, god, yeah, he does say that one. Oh yeah, I know that's coming up. Yeah, Fosh of the Mont is so good. Um, I'm going <laughs> to rant about that at the end of this chapter. Um, yeah. That then Jean Valjean's like, um, so anyway, uh, come with me. We just got to go fetch the child. Fosh of the Mont's like, there's a child? 
back, he said not another word and follow Jean Valjean like a dog following its master. Mm-hmm. And then me and Nemo live for a child acquisition fic and oh no, we'll have mm-hmm. to raise this child. They've got her in a bed by a fire and her cheeks are rosy again and she's no longer cold. Foch Levant has removed his knee pad with the bell on it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Those could come in handy for something else, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Wink. <laughs> I'm really getting into the panto here for you. Okay, thank you. And the two men were warming themselves. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. It's easier to share body heat. <laughs> um, they're having a little meal that Foch Levant has provided. We love a provider. And mm-hmm. laying his hand on Jean Valjean's knee. Uh-huh. <laughs> And softly stroking circles. <laughs> and we've already had some hand holding. This is like speed run of a Valvefic. Ah, <laughs> oh, Pen Madeline, you didn't recognize me straight away. You save people's lives and then you forget them. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> they remember you. Heartless that you are. But he says it in like a loving way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, that's as far in as I read. And that was six chapters. <laughs> I'm sure you can believe it at the way that I steamrolled through those. <laughs> I'm so glad that we got to Fauchelevon because I I love him so much. And he's only in... Uh, we're coming up to my favourite scenes. We have to get through a couple of essays first. But... <laughs> <laughs> As a gift, some Fauchelevon at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Fauchelevon is such a, like... He is a really interesting character. And uh, I will say more about him when we know more about him. Oh, but there was something else that I wanted to mention before I forgot, which was the um, the overgrown garden and the fruit tree. The what was it? The warped fruit trees. Oh yeah, wait. Let me just flip back to them. And like the the jail jail windows uh, on the weird building. Yeah, uh, the- and I was like, oh, symbolism. And I'd said, ah, oh, symbolism because of uh, Victor Hugo. So yes, this is the convent, right? So is about to have a long essay about how, and we've talked about it before, about how the convent is basically a prison for women because <laughs> they're locking themselves away. So, yeah, the overgrown fruit trees, I think, is the, uh, they could be bearing fruit, but oh, they're not. I was just going to gloss right over those. <laughs> well, to be fair, I glossed over them every other time that I've read it. But when you mentioned them, I was like, oh, that's a detail that I've not picked up on before. Imagery. <laughs> <laughs> Imagery, there's some berries and some bushes. Yeah. Well, yeah, it. they're like unplucked mm. and overgrown. And uh, what a waste. <laughs> what a waste. If only they'd been tended to properly. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait for more of that in the coming essays <laughs> yeah that's definitely yeah. where he's going with this feminism <laughs> well I can't wait to talk more about Foch Levant when we know more about him but what mm. I know about him right now I was like this is my best boy like if you are reading or ever consider reading just parts of this book I don't, I'm not sure why we would but uh, the Foch Levant like I don't know that I did it justice, but he it's felt he's just such a funny guy. Like mm-hmm. his scenes and then it reminded me of because I was like reading these bits and I was like, this is just a panto. This is just a panto scene. They're, they're like, Who are you? What do you mean you don't know who I am? Like that kind of tomfoolery reminded me when Foch Levant was trapped under the cart the first time we met him. Yeah. It was like Jean Valjean and Javert are like being all talking sideways to each other like blah 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 well are you gonna do this oh but you look like someone i knew once and Foch Levant was just under the cart just occasionally like help yeah, i'm hurting yeah. letting out little groans of pain i was like you've always been the comedy boy and then i got really mad it was like <laughs> this was your comedy character why yeah. why did you choose a new one why did you make people who haven't been funny like you haven't even like Stevie, you haven't even got to the funniest fucking part that Fosha Levant is in. Like, we're about to come up to Chuckle Brothers worthy <laughs> shit. Like, Jean Valjean is like such a like stoic, like, mm, no fun. Well, yeah, mm, yeah, I'm a convict. Uh, my life is tragic. But Fosha Levant just brings out the like Chuckle Brother, like, to me, to you <laughs> level of just 
Yeah, tomfoolery. Tomfoolery is the best word for it. It's. I'm so excited that we get to have these chapters. <laughs> I'm so excited that there's more to come because I was worried that we were going to be leaving him soon. I'm sure we will. <laughs> but like, it's there. Like, it's they're amusing scenes. They're so amusing and fucking the BBC drama. He gets trapped under the car and then he's never seen of again. He just gets completely nerfed. He's the best boy. Like, I'm sure I've said that about many boys in this book so far, and I'm sure I'll say it about a hundred more. But friendship ended with Bishop Muriel. Friendship began with Poche Levant. Yeah, for real. I feel like... <laughs> I can't believe the words are about to come out of my mouth. Say it because I'm thinking it. <laughs> It would make a good polyamp. Yep. <laughs> and there's a there's a um a, an an age difference thing where Jean Valjean is the baby, <laughs> and he never gets to have that. He never gets to be the baby. So yeah, somebody please, for the love of God, write us a polyamp ship with the bir- the burial, the, the Bishop Marion Fauchelevon, just loving uh, Jean Valjean. And teaching him that he deserves love. And to, like, have a good time. And oh, there was only one bed. There was only one bed. Ignore those two other rooms. Well, one is for Cosette and one is for Cosette's doll. Yeah, that's true. He's just a good boy, Nemo. I know you know this. (laughs) He's such a good boy. And, yeah, I am very excited for these next couple of chapters where we can lounge in good boyness before we have to <laughs> Leave it. subject ourselves back into Victor Hugo being shit. Oh, they made the Tenardiers in the musical, like, they gave them those, like, not high-key panto vibes, but, like, low-key panto vibes. Mm-hmm. And they... I mean, it's pretty high-key. They, like, talk to the audience and they, yeah. they are basically panto characters. But here he was! Yeah, literally. <laughs> You didn't have to make this shit up. He's here. He's here. Like, I didn't even read out the... the where, 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 where is it? They just keep talking about these melons. <laughs> like, he would make the perfect panto dame. Literally, yeah, yeah, 100%. He just is... Oh, my melons. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost what the script says. But it's so... Farcical, especially after we've only just had a really creepy ghoul scene mm. and then this and it was just good <laughs> it's just good you should have written you should have stuck to your fucking strengths victor hugo <laughs> mystery horror and good boy <laughs> pantomimes <laughs> none of this essay writing none of this feminism <laughs> <laughs> just good old-fashioned gaffs horrors <laughs> and melon jokes <laughs> That's all I have to say. This has been (laughs) Brad and Brown Kids Alamus Podcast. Produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. If you like this podcast, feel free to uh, leave us a review on iTunes. And if you do, you can send it to us uh, on our email, lamospodcast, lespodcast at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at lamospodcast. Or on Tumblr at Brad and Barricades. Our audio director is Jade, who you can find on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com, where you can also download the Candlelights theme version of our theme song. And, we want and... a gift, but only if it's money! <laughs> <laughs> which you can give to us on either Patreon or on Ko-fi, which you can find in our show notes. If you do donate anything, we will love you forever. And also it goes to help us with website fees and stuff like that. We will be very thankful. Thank you. Thank you for candle nights. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. This is Providence. Victor Hugo said it that he met Fauchelevon. It was chance, that is to say, Providence. This has been my Christmas <laughs> gift to myself. <laughs> Ooh, Santa. <laughs> <laughs>